All right, well, friends, this is our last time looking at the stories Jesus told. So we've been walking through the book of Matthew, looking at the parables that Jesus used to teach us about what it means or what the kingdom of God actually means, what it means to to live out our faith, uh, what the kingdom, how it actually functions. And so uh, today we're looking at Jesus' very last teaching right before he goes to the cross. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25. We're going to be looking at verses 31 to 46. So if you have your Bibles open there, Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. But this is the second service, so I think I can attempt this here. I want you to finish this statement. Y'all are a little more awake. You ready to go here, right? So, um, so here we go. Ready? Finish this. One word I'm going to leave you at the end. Strike first. Strike hard. No. Strike first. Strike hard. No. Oh, some of y'all got it. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are totally lost. You're like, what is happening at church right now? Okay, so so basically that is a line from the Cobra Kai Dojo uh, that hails from Karate Kid, right? So if you grew up in the 80s and 90s, you were familiar with the Karate Kid. Uh, it's a trilogy, right? It never made it past three, um, right? Okay, most things don't. Most things shouldn't even make it to three. But anyway, um, you know, Karate Kid, you know, Cobra Kai, it was the, it was the angry dojo. It was the bad boys on the block. It was the one everybody wanted to unseat. And Daniel and Mr. Miyagi, they team up. Uh, Johnny Lawrence is like their star fighter. And Daniel at the end does the crane. You remember the crane kicks him in the face, right? And then that's it. He wins. Karate Kid. Yay. All right. That's it. You don't even have to watch it. Um, it's now been repopularized, uh, through the show that airs on Netflix called Cobra Kai. Okay, so Johnny Lawrence, really, let's be honest, he's the star of that one. It follows his very complicated character. Let me say this, parents, I'm not necessarily endorsing this. It is not for the young ones, and so I just need to say that up front and out loud. Uh, but, but, but here's the story. Is Cobra Kai, it's following this Johnny Lawrence guy as he is indoctrinating his students with this strike first, strike hard, no mercy, and then you see this remarkable softening in his character as he goes. It's a fascinating storyline. I'm not saying it's the best acted thing in the world, but you know, for those of us who grew up with Karate Kid, it's kind of fun. All right, why on earth did I start there? Friends, as, as I look back on this last year, as I look in our nation, at our nation, and even as I look in the Big C Church, at times, I feel like this could be our motto. Strike first. Strike hard. No mercy. Particularly when it's someone who disagrees with us. Of a different political ilk. Of a different approach to the pandemic. Even in the church, time and time again, I claim the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. But I am totally unwilling to offer the same mercy to my brother and sister. Now, I'm not saying that's indicative of our church per se, but I'm just saying in the big C church as a whole, in our country right now, I'm afraid that we are bending in this direction. I would also say that, that I feel this pull in my own heart. I would say this isn't like some anomaly in our church and in our time. I would argue that a lack of mercy is actually the default of a broken, sinful, and rebellious human heart. This morning, Jesus, through this teaching, takes us deep into his heart of mercy and seeing how it impacts his followers. We may ask this question, how on earth can we live mercifully? And that's exactly what Jesus dives into here today. 
So if you have your Bibles, Matthew 25, we're going to start off by reading uh, 31, to, uh, 31 to 34, 41, and 46. So I'm going to jump around a little bit. If you have your Bibles, feel free to follow along, or it'll be up on the screen as well. But here's what Jesus teaches. He says this, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. And then in 41, it says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And then in 46, And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Let me pray for us as we get going this morning. Lord, I know there are many in our midst that have continually showed mercy, that have fought against this pull of our human heart. But Lord, admittedly, it is so easy to kind of ease back into a place of self-righteousness, of feeling like we have arrived and forgetting what you have saved us from. And so, Holy Spirit, would you work in and through your word this morning? Would you change our hearts as a result? Would you draw a heart to you for the first time? Would you use it to make your church more merciful? We pray these things in your name. Amen. So, Jesus really uses two, or I'm going to give you two phrases to see how Jesus actually answers this question. Okay, how then do we live more mercifully? And the first is understanding that Jesus will come. And the second is understanding that Jesus has come. That Jesus will come and understanding that Jesus already has come. Sounds pretty simple, right? Could be a sermon on any given Sunday. But let's look in our Bibles to figure out what exactly we're driving at. First, this idea that Jesus will come. Verses 31 and 33. I don't know if you've ever read this passage and and noticed how he begins, but he begins reminding us that He will one day return, and when He does, it will be in glory. And the Son of Man comes in His glory, all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Alright, so when you think of Jesus returning, do you think of it being a very glorious moment? Maybe let's put it this way. In contrast, does it kind of feel more like coming home from work? Like a parent, guardian, right? coming home from work. Now, my, my family loves me well. All right, They love me really well. But there are sometimes I come home from work and the only thing that's greeting me is my dog wagging his tail. I love that dog. He just wags his tail. He's excited. And I'm like, is anybody home? And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? There's three yeahs, but they're in all different. But they're not running to me and be like, you're home. And if they did, that'd be kind of weird. Right? Let's just all admit that. But sometimes, at least in my heart, that's kind of how I feel about Jesus' return. It's like, oh yeah, he's going to come back. It's probably going to feel like somebody coming home from work. That is just not at all how God's Word tells us it will be when Jesus returns. In fact, here's a passage from Philippians 2. It's talking about Christ's humility. But then he goes into this. Paul says, Therefore God has highly exalted Him, Jesus, and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
Friends, this is a picture of the humble servant, Jesus Christ. One day, when he returns, at the simple mention of his name, every knee will drop to the ground. And every tongue, no matter how much they pushed against the name of Jesus Christ over the course of their lives, it will come spewing out of them, King of kings, Lord of lords, God of all time. Now, there's not many moments in our lives where we see somebody physically and verbally change when somebody walks into a room. It's fitting on Memorial Day. I give a little bit of a military illustration. So my dad uh, used to design the, the um, alarm systems and whatnot for the Atlantic fleet. They floated out of Norfolk. So the Nimitz craft, aircraft carriers and whatnot. And a couple of times when I was like this big, I used to be that tall, um, uh, I would go out and, and I would be in these buildings or I would be out on the aircraft carrier decks, like three football fields on. It's unbelievable. But I'm watching some of the soldiers and, and they're goofing off, right? They're young dudes and they're doing their job. But the moment a higher ranking officer, and I'll tell you, watching a, a general walk into a room, physically and verbally, everything changes. It is just boom, boom. Yes, sir. It, it, it just totally shifts. And that is just a small perspective of what it's going to be like the moment Jesus comes back. Friends, every body that physically harmed someone who was preaching and speaking in the name of Christ, that body will no longer be used in opposition against God. It will drop to its knees in humility. And every tongue that used human wisdom to argue folks out of the faith, to have podcasts on deconstruction and encouraging people in that direction, that tongue will stop waving in that direction and will immediately claim the glory and kingship of Jesus Christ. There's a second thing that happens when Jesus comes is that he will judge. He will judge. Verses 31 and, or 32 and 33 is this picture where it says, He gathers before Him all the nations. Te athna, or sorry, oh, I messed up my Greek because I can't speak Greek. Um, ta ethne. Sorry, I knew I blew that. That's, that's every ethnicity. Every tribe, tongue, and nation. Every person, whether or not they've claimed the name of Jesus or not, He will gather everyone to Him. And then He will be judged. He will separate, it says here, the sheep from the goats. All right, everybody gets that, right? How many people have sheep and goats? For real, honest questions. Anybody have sheep and goats? Man, I was hoping somebody would. All right, send me an email if you're watching online, if you have sheep and goats. Um, so, so that means we probably won't understand what on earth he's talking about here. But in this culture, it would have made sense to them that there was a separation of the sheep and the goats because goats... Uh, were actually not quite as hardy. They got cold at night and they could die. And so they would have to separate the goats and move them to a place where they would stay warm at night. Uh, and then the sheep, they would keep in that place. Now, uh, you see him move the sheep to the right. So the right is the place of honor. And sheep were more highly valued in that culture because uh, they created more clothing. They were more docile, right? They weren't as high maintenance. And so uh, what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to judge. The sheep are my people. Uh, goats go to the left. And here... Uh, this is the judgment part that's hard for us a lot of times, but, but it is judgment, condemnation. And so here's something that we just have to understand as we consider what does it look like to be merciful? It's to take it seriously because we live in a culture that says it doesn't matter how we live. We have the right to live however we want. 
But this reality that Jesus will come gives us an uncomfortable truth. That yes, we can live as we please, but there will be a day of accountability. There will be a day of judgment. Now, there is no peace and hope in that if we just stopped there today. But it is a reality that should humble us and sober us. And here's the second point. Jesus has come. So the way that we grow in mercy is understanding that Jesus has also come. Pick back up with me, 35 to 40, and then I'll read 42 to 45. 35 says, and this is after he's saying, I'm going to separate the two. And he tells the sheep to enter into the inheritance of the kingdom prepared for them. And he gives his reason. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me food and I was thirsty and you gave me drink and I was a stranger and you welcomed me and I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick and in prison and visit you? And the king will answer him, truly, I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did to me. And then in 42, for I was hungry and you gave me food, or I, you did not give me food, or you gave me no food, sorry. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. All right, friends, so as we start off, there is a list that we need to pay close attention to. Did you hear the list? Hungry, thirsty, sick, you fed me, right? So on and so forth. That list is repeated four times, right? In Jesus' statement, in the response of the people, and then it's said again in the negative, in Jesus' negative statement to them, and in their response. I will just tell you this. Anytime you are reading God's Word and something is repeated even once, our ears should perk up. When it is repeated four times, the author or the teacher is trying to make a profound point. And here, Christ is very clearly saying, mercy matters. In God's kingdom economy, this is at the top of the list for how we live our lives out if we have experienced His mercy. Let's look at some of these topics. Hunger. Hunger was common. Hunger exists in our society today, but it is far less common, uh, made plain by the fact that if you go down the cereal aisle, my goodness, nothing wrong with that. Probably the closest we've ever come to um, many of us, right? Some of us have truly been impoverished and truly not had access to, to food. But man, do you see us scrambling in the pandemic? <laughs> I couldn't get my 18 chicken breasts at Costco and I was bent out of shape, right? Or toilet paper, right? That was the thing we were missing in that day. But, but hunger was, was far more com- common, far more prevalent, and it's still common today. Water in an arid environment was scarce. It's not like California, right, where they've been in the desert forever long and they can run a 400-mile pipeline to pump in water. No, uh, water was scarce and people died, still do, without water. Travel was difficult and dangerous, right? When you traveled, you know, hotels weren't prevalent. It wasn't like a courtyard or Marriott or a, a Hilton on every corner. And even if there was a hotel, 
they're not necessarily safe places. They were usually seedy. It was kind of like the Prancing Pony in Fellowship of the Rings. Remember that? Right? The seedy folks and the ring wraiths. And, right? It's not a pretty scene. That's kind of how traveling was. Traveling was hard and dangerous. Clothes were costly. Right? No, um, you know, New Life Thrift wasn't right down the street. Old Navy wasn't right there. Clothing is costly. Prisons were horrifying. Even if you could visit, you wouldn't want to. Let me just stop and ask you this. Is this the part of God's law that you expected Jesus to focus on? Saying, hey, these are the marks of my followers. That they're merciful. Is that what you would have expected? Would you have expected another rule that we see in God's law that that we are supposed to follow that Jesus would be making much of here? Maybe. Maybe not. There's another uh, passage in Matthew 23. Jesus is confronting the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees. You know, these were folks who were saying, we are, we are keeping God's law to the T. We're nailing it. In fact, we're adding laws to make sure we keep these laws back here to the point where uh, they were tithing their, their spices and herbs, their mint and their cumin, right? They're like, we're in good shape in God's eyes. We're, we're keeping the law. And, and Jesus is saying, hey, you've actually neglected the weightier matters of the law. What is Jesus saying the weightier matters of the law are? Justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Now friends, does God care about the other parts of His moral law? So just think of the Ten Commandments. Absolutely. In fact, that's what I think that last line says. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. But I think Jesus is pointing us to the temptation of our heart. We love to be religious. We love to build our resumes up and say, I've kept X, Y, and Z. But Jesus is saying, hey, unless mercy oozes out of my people, there's a warning flag that should go off in our hearts. We turn in on ourselves if we reject mercy offered to others. Why? Why is this such a big deal? And some of you might be saying, oh, Anthony, you're teaching works righteousness. You know, Jesus is judging these people based on their their works, right? Whether or not they're merciful. And, and, and I think if we read it that way, we've totally missed the point. In part, because right now the disciples can't see it at this point, right? Christ is saying, be merciful, be merciful. But, but you know what's happening in the next chapter? They're about to be shown the mercy demonstrated for them on the cross. Christ showering them with his mercy. And then Paul unpacks it even uh, clearer in 2 Corinthians 8-9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Friends, this passage tells us two things. Implicitly, it tells us that every single one of us, apart from Christ, are spiritually bankrupt, totally poor, bring nothing to the table on our own. And that the cross was necessary for the second part that it tells us, that we must totally and solely rely on the one who was rich, who followed God's law perfectly and became totally impoverished so that we may enter into his riches. That's grace. And the reason that it's so dangerous when our hearts refuse to show mercy is because it really demonstrates a position of pride that we've totally missed our own spiritual poverty, and that we've totally missed our Savior. 
We talk about the Christian faith being an actual relationship with the God of the universe. But if there's no mercy in us, Jesus is saying, you're not relating to me at all. Now there's a weighty surprise. Did you see the surprise in the response of these folks? If you skip down to 44 and 45, were they shocked at Jesus saying, you are being judged and condemned? Are they shocked by that? Are they saying, unfair, how can you do that? No, they're actually surprised by the weightiness of their action. It's almost like they don't care about their condemnation. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, when, <laughs> when did we see you hungry or thirsty? We missed that part, Jesus. What's going on? And that comes down to the relating part. You hear what Jesus said in 40 and 45? What you did to the least of these, you did to me. He's saying you missed me entirely. James 2 says this, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says then, go in peace, be warm, be filled, without giving them the things needed for their body, what good is that? So faith by itself, it does not have works, is dead. So think of it kind of like a vending machine. What do we say a vending machine has been filled with? Well, it's been filled with whatever's on the front cover, whatever G18 is, right? It's been filled with Skittles or Snickers or something like that. What happens if you go and put in G18, you're expecting some Skittles, and guess what comes out? Tofu. Ugh. I know some of y'all love tofu. I don't get it. You're like, grill it. It'll taste better. I'm not putting a white, square, gelatinous, tasteless thing on my grill. It's just not going to do it for me, right? I digress. What am I preaching about? Um... What will we say about that vending machine? It hasn't been filled with what it says it's been filled with, right? And if we say we have faith in Jesus, if, it's, if we say we have been filled with the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ, but none of that makes its way out of us, then it's not real faith. Our works are demonstrating that our faith is not real, that is indeed dead. Works are evidence of faith. It is never what saves us, but it is evidence of our faith. Now, here's one other thing to note in this passage. In verse 40, Jesus makes this comment. He says, Truly I say to you, as you did it to the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. In a way, Jesus is putting before His church a priority. He's saying the least of these, my brothers, is talking about those who are in the household of faith. Now, here's what he's not saying. We never show justice and mercy outside of the church, right? Don't hear what I'm not saying. But he is saying, hey, if you, uh, you know, are you overwhelmed when you look at your newsfeed? Ethiopia. How on earth do I address that need? whatever's going on in this state or this country or or whatnot, like it can be totally overwhelming. And I think that's part of our numbness to suffering right now. We're just overwhelmed with it constantly. And Jesus is kind of saying, hey, start close. Now he does say, be salt and light in the world around us. He does say, love your neighbors as yourself. So he is also saying, let mercy and justice extend from God's family. But if we can't extend justice and faithfulness and mercy to one another, We are fooling ourselves to think we could do it outside of the walls of the church. 
That's in line with what we see in Isaiah. God's people go into captivity because they neglected mercy and justice for their people first. Acts 2, there were no needs among the church of Jesus Christ. Why? Because they shared and showed mercy to one another. Galatians 6, the priority of the household of faith. Friends, we can barely get along with each other right now. I've had people say, how can I worship again with this brother and sister in Christ after this season? And I would say it has to be remembering the mercy that you have once claimed and showing that mercy to others. Here's a picture a friend of mine sent when he went to Canada. This is in Toronto. He walked past this and and he stopped. He walked past it because a lot of times, especially in larger cities and what have you, we tend to walk by need and just kind of ignore it. And, and again, I'm not saying, what I'm not calling us to is stopping at every person who's asking for things, right? There's, there's wisdom and there's capacity and, and what have you. But, but he sent this to me because he said, I was just kind of struck by how easy it was to just kind of walk by. And when I realized this wasn't a real person, but a statue, I was just kind of shocked. Do you know what this is a statue of? Look at the foot. You see the hole? This is called Homeless Jesus by artist Timothy Schmalz. It's based on this passage. And as I did some homework this week, and I researched what was going on around it, the articles were fascinating. It said some residents felt it was an insulting depiction of Jesus. Totally missing what he just said. I identify most with the least of these. said it demeaned the neighborhood. One resident called police the first time he saw it, mistaking the statue for a real homeless person. Another neighbor wrote a letter saying it creeped him out. (laughs) Friends, this is often what need does to us. It creeps us out. It's just kind of less than us. And Jesus is saying, that's who I most closely identify with. How do we experience heart change here? This is a hard week for me wrestling through this passage. The Lord showed me a lot of places in my life where there is not a lot of mercy. John Calvin said this, Whenever we are reluctant to assist the poor, let us place before our eyes the Son of God to whom it would be base sacrilege to refuse anything. He's basically saying, look to Jesus as we struggle. And so maybe let me offer this. First, if we're having problems showing mercy, Sit on the bench next to Jesus. Consider your spiritual poverty without Christ. Consider Jesus' poverty for your sake and ask the Holy Spirit to change your heart via His Word and prayer. Friends, if we're not reminding ourselves of our poverty and His mercy, we will not grow in mercy. If we're not doing it in the Word and in prayer, we won't grow in mercy. And then, maybe by a step of faith, go and sit on the bench next to another beggar. And by the way, each and every one of us are spiritual beggars. Talk to one another. Show hospitality. You want to talk about something uh, that is waning, I think, in our culture and even in our church, especially coming out of a pandemic? It's hospitality. We might not even know the mercy that is needed in our church because we don't know each other. The best place to know it is inviting people into your home where they can see the mess and they can hear kids scream, where they can see us repent. That'll help us grow in mercy. i got to wrap really fast. Let me say this. 
Mercy won't save you. You need to hear me say that because this is one of the most abused passages when it comes to saying, hey, if you just identify with the poor, then that's our resume we hold before God. And friends, that is not articulated anywhere in Scripture. Even in the book of Matthew, Jesus makes this very clear point. Matthew 5, don't think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. On the day of judgment, you telling people how many soup kitchens you volunteered on will not get you anywhere in that moment of judgment at all. You will be judged on your ability to perfectly follow God's every law. And let's just start with the weightier matters. Consider faithfulness, justice, and mercy. Have you failed in thought, word, or deed at any point in time in your life in any of those areas? The answer is yes. I'll do it for you. It's yes. But guess who did not? Has not? Never did, never will. Jesus Christ. He fulfilled it perfectly. And simply offers that if we receive His mercy and His perfect record, then we are saved. Then at judgment there is no fear. And that frees us up to live mercifully. Now, I will say this. Mercy won't save us, but merciless living reveals our true heart. It is the evidence against us that we've never truly cried out for mercy in the first place. We tend to look at the big no-nos, the sexual ethic, money, alcohol, language. If we don't do those things and we're in line with Scripture, I'm safe, I don't have to worry about those things. But, but Jesus actually calls us to something far beyond that. One author says, it will not do for Christians to sing hymns and keep themselves pure. In the needy world in which we are placed between the advents, that's the comings of Christ, we must be known by our Christian love and service. We must realize that in failing to care for the poor and underemployed, we are failing to care for those with whom Jesus identified himself with. Do you know what this follows immediately from, and I think it's the application of? The parable of the talents. There's actually no break between the parable of the talents and this. He's saying, use the talents to build the kingdom, and immediately he says, show mercy. In fact, verse 34 sounds a whole lot like enter into the joy of your master when he says, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. Friends, when we show mercy, something incredible happens. We encounter the living God who showed us mercy, working through us to build His kingdom, to bring justice on earth, to end exploitation, to restore lives, to empower communities. And as we serve them, we serve Him. Friends, those who have seen the face of mercy by nature become the face of mercy. Let me close this in prayer. King Jesus, you will come. You will reign. You will be a judge. Every knee will drop and every tongue will confess. Father, that could be a horrific moment or we could call on you and your mercy and faith. And it could be this beautiful moment of entering into the joy of our Master hearing the well done, good and faithful servant. 
Lord, help us to lay hold of that faith today. If there is a heart that has been lied to by the enemy to believe that they can bring mercy as a resume to You, Lord, stop them. Help them to see Your perfect resume and call on You in faith. And Lord, where we as Your followers have failed to show mercy, call us to faith and repentance. And Lord, help us to first show mercy here to those who are our brothers and sisters who speak similar languages, who we are bound to for all of eternity. Help us to show mercy first here. But Lord, I pray that the watching world will see the mercy here and that it will overflow the banks into the world around us. Make us a merciful people through Your grace. We pray these things in Your name, Jesus. Amen.